I don't know about you, Roberts, but, uh, you know, it's been a long day. I don't know if you looked out the window or not, but, ladies and gentlemen, it is snowing here in the Twin Cities. Supposed to taper off. That's stupid. I'm tired of it already. I don't want snow, and I'm bad, and I want my money now. You know what I'm saying, bro? Yeah, I want spring back. You know, I don't mind a little bit of winter. I don't mind cool weather. I don't even mind a little pretty, pristine-looking snow around Christmas. But, you know, right after Christmas, it can go away. Yeah, it can shut up. You know what I'm saying, I don't like bro? driving in it. I don't like none of it. I'm just done with it. I am so done with it already, and it hasn't even started, bro. Oh, you know, we had, I, I think you remember the house we had with the big, long, 100-foot driveway that went uphill, kind of. Uh, our van couldn't even handle that. But we had this old Mercedes wagon. Oh, Four-wheel drive, all-wheel drive. And that thing just zipped oh, right through it. Oh, wait a minute. You're talking Somerset? Yeah. Okay. It didn't go. Well, it went uphill if you were leaving your house. It went downhill yes. if you're going to your house. You know what I'm saying? Right. Up. Right, 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 right. But that four all-wheel drive is the key, man. The 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 van, a Chevy uh, something van, minivan. It, it's got rear-wheel drive. Just Dude, you, that one you, time I came over, it took us two hours for me to get out of your damn car. I remember that. I remember that. The hell? Some so, dude in the garage blowing glass and shit going on in there and some weird oh stuff yeah. happening. That was my pothead brother in law. Yeah. I don't like blowing him. glass in the garage. I don't like him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, got, I got my things. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna get Roberts in trouble here. Folks, hey everybody, welcome. Good evening. Welcome to the program, the situation room. Who I got a question, Roberts. I got a question. Ask me. For you. So, you know, we witness all different types of protests here in the United States. We witness all this stuff going on around the world. And um, I seen a video today. And so my question to you, Mr. Cannoli, is when it comes to protest, anti-government protest or whatever it may be, when is going too far going too far, right? And the reason I ask this question is because this video that I witnessed today, now we all know that uh, I support personally uh, the the demonstration of what's going on in Hong Kong. I got a big problem with the Chinese government. I got a big problem with what they're doing to their people. And, and you know, with Hong Kong wanting to remain a democracy, I, I got to be very careful And when we research this stuff because how much of it is propaganda? You know what I mean? How much, like, right. when, when I saw... The Chinese dudes or the Hong Kongians, whatever you call them, the dudes from Hong Kong, singing the national anthem. You know, there was a sense of pride that went through my body. That was pretty cool, actually. You know, but then there was the conspiracy Rocky Rococo stuff going on, being like, how much of that is propaganda? Um, But it's hard for me to say that, even if it was propaganda, for me to counter it, because I just don't like the Chinese government. But anyways. Right. I seen this video today, bro. And uh, a lot of these Hong Kong protesters were in, like, malls, and they were breaking all the glass. They were setting things on fire. They had a big Christmas tree set up. You don't burn. Don't. If you're going to protest, leave the damn Christmas trees alone Don't for burn one. the Christmas tree. Don't you want to talk it. about anger. Dude, no, I'm angry. I'm triggered, bro. But the question is, is, is that going too far? Or is that doing what's necessary to combat such a communistic-style oh. government like China? You know what I'm saying? I, I got a problem where people cross the bounds of decency and law and order in order to protest their cause. 
once you've gone beyond a certain line in the sand, that rule of respectability, so to speak, um, then you're lapsing into mob mentality. But is that, uh, see, this is where I'm confused, though. Is the mob mentality for this particular situation necessary? Because I don't think peaceful protest would have done anything in regards to the relationship with Hong Kong and China. Well, let me ask, when you look at uh, the civil rights movement in the late 60s, look mm -hmm. at Martin Luther King Jr., all his stuff, personal junk aside, mm -hmm. he stood for something. Look at their protests when they marched across the bridge. They were all like this and hand in hand, arm in arm, and they were singing We Shall Overcome. They weren't burning people's cars. They weren't smashing in windows. Yeah, there were riots that took place, the mm -hmm. Watts riots, you know, in 68, race riots, things like that. Uh, but that was the seedy underbelly of protesting. Did Martin Luther King Jr., do what he did, accomplish what he did because he was out hurting people's property or was he just marching and they were calling on something? He was right. using the power of words, uh, weapon, and not even weaponized words. Uh, words can be a strong mm. weapon used properly. Yeah, there it is. Just but, like but, the face can be used properly. So, so, but here's here's let me here's a comparison in regards to that. You're, and you're right about uh, Martin Luther King. Uh, he, he took a lot of pride in, in remaining peaceful because that was the only way to be different than what he was trying to counter. Right? Um, can we? But when we compare though Martin Luther King and what's going on in Hong Kong, we also had to add to that equation the two different kinds of governments, right? Because in the United well, States, right. we have a lot of uh, freedoms to do these things. This is what makes this country so beautiful is that this is our right. Um, but now we're referring to a communistic, very controlling government such as China. Um, do you think that if the Chinese or the Hong Kong people were protesting in the manner of Martin Luther King, that the Chinese government would take notice? Or do you think that would have just empowered the Chinese government's cause? I think when you have an oppressive, tyrannical government that's taking away your personal liberties, there are sometimes different means you take. Do I smash out the windows of innocent shop owners that aren't the ones responsible for taking away my my uh, personal rights? Now, I don't know that in Hong Kong. Maybe they were government-owned stores. Sure. Who the hell knows? But when you start damaging other people's property to make your point, um, when uh, uh, people were, uh, say, the race riots and riots that we've seen over the years, when people come out of the woodwork and start smashing shop windows and stealing the goods in that shop, is that really promoting your good cause? Um, I believe, like Thomas Jefferson said, liberty, too, must be limited in order to be possessed. We have freedoms. We are guaranteed, not granted, we're guaranteed the expression of certain freedoms in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, uh, the amendments to the Constitution. We have a right to protest. We have a right to speak. But there are certain restraints you have to put on that because there is a thing called law and order. Right. And uh, just because you're protesting doesn't mean you get to walk free and clear from thumbing your nose at law and order. Right, right. Protest is not unlawful, but breaking somebody's windows and burning their cars is. See, 
and this is where I run into a conflict because I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. We have law and order, but, well, I guess we're kind of That's in this country. That's in this country, right. Um, You know, so I'm trying to process all this shit going on over there in Hong Kong because when that happens here and we have lawlessness here in this country, we have anarchists in this country, we got these little baby piece of crap thugs called Antifa running around with little baby masks on and diapers and I would just want to slap them all, you know what I'm saying, dude, in a peaceful way, because I'm a man of peace. You know what I mean, bro? You're a man of pieces. I'm a man of pieces. But when we're looking at what's going on, I mean, we all know what the hell. Dude, I don't like China. I don't like what they're doing. Uh, you, you know, whatever we want to say about radical Islam, you have the internment camps, you, there, there's, you have the facial recognition stuff going, you got the point system going. You have basic slave labor going on. Well, that that's the difference with China's government right. and our government. You're going to promote uh, um, protest in communist China. You're protesting the tyrannical government that has abolished your right to have personal rights. And uh, I can see where that could lead to a lot of anger and stuff like that. Still, why would you strike out against innocent people mm-hmm. to make your point? Right. Uh, join us or die. Ooh. You know, there was some of that in the, even the American revolution. Yep. There were uh, uh, times where the sons of Liberty, the daughters of Liberty, uh, this group, when start, when the revolution began, you could have a boat that was say your livelihood that you sailed up and down the New York, uh, the river in New York, whatever the New York river is. Uh, you could sail up and down in that boat. Uh, the sons of Liberty were known to, take possession of your boat for the fight in the glorious cause Ooh. against against the king of England. Really? And they give you a little piece of paper saying, when the war's won, we'll give you back your boat or pay you, you know, what it's worth, which was a worthless piece of paper. But they could stop your livelihood and confiscate your boat, which is basically thievery for what they said was their good cause. The glorious cause, as it was known back then. So, so, so crimes were committed against people. Right. Now, compare that, what you just referred to, and compare that to China. Because they, ah. for the Revolutionary War, we had to go to that extreme to get those red coats the hell out of our damn country. What's up? That's it. So, and, uh, of course, a lot of people now in, in revising history are going to go back and say, well, of course, it was all the corporations of the day that were doing that. It was all about money and commerce. It wasn't about personal freedom. And I would beg to differ with that. There may have been moneyed people behind it and the freedom of commerce and keeping their own as they amassed more. But you had uh, your common folk who who supported the revolution, which was really only about 60% of the population of the colonies. Ooh. The rest were still loyalists Ooh. to the king. Those people suffered, the loyalists, because uh, the those in the revolution, they'd say, hey, uh, you're going to join us. or It was join or die. Remember the flag? Yeah. The 13 colonies yeah. is a snake cut into pieces. Join or die was one of the flags of the revolution. Well, maybe a lot of those and businesses in Hong Kong are Chinese loyalists. That might be. Maybe that's who they, hey, only smash out that window, but don't smash out that window. Well, do they smash out exactly what happened? The whole mall they smashed out, the windows, the escalators. And and, was that a governmentally owned mall or was that uh, just the anger of a a, uh, uh, protesting mob turned 
into a like a lynch mob. Well, you know, no matter what, Scotty, we're going to have that. We have that here. We, we, we may even have like a noble cause within a protest, but then we're going to get those little pieces of shit that are going to sneak in, little anarchist, little baby thugs, and they're going to intensify a, a, a situation right. that probably originally started out uh, to be more kosher. But, you know, when we look at China or even in Hong Kong, is Hong Kong a capitalist country? You know, no, and if not, uh, well, how does how does a communist country work when it comes to businesses and malls and who dictates and who controls the businesses and how does it what does it take to establish let's say a shoe store or a candy cane store in Hong Kong? Yeah. You know, can you go out and just say, "I got an idea. I'm going to start Rocky's Shoe Store." Oh, uh, I don't know if you can do that in communist China. Um, I believe that they're there. This is where, for some reason, Hong Kong, and I do not know my history of Hong Kong. What hits my mind is that Hong Kong was a city of commerce long before uh, China became communist. And so this city maintained, in a way, a bit of its capitalist independence, but it was still under the auspices of the Chinese government. And so when China, I think, says, okay, too far. Uh, they're going to come in and uh, uh, crack some heads. True to far, Mr. Stucci. True to far. <laughs> yes. I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm just not liking it. I'm not liking. I don't. I'm not liking. Well, do it, and then you also hear what China. Uh, they've made all these loans to different African regions, uh, African countries. And why am I talking in this kind of voice? I don't know right now. I don't know. Probably the reason I talk in this way is you know there's a difference between Chinese and Korean. What's the, the way you say bro? it? It's like Chinese. They would be like, it would be like, ah, you know, you know, protests like that, we shut you down. And then you've got Korean would be, oh, we will shut you down. We will cut off your head. Dude, they're, so they're emotional people. That's the way Koreans talk. They get all weird and shit, bro. They, 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 you know, it's, I, I don't get it. Oh, I got a guy I work with. He's Chinese. And he told me, he goes, Waki, he goes, Waki, you go to China, you die. What's My wife on? just told me I'm racist. Totally racist, bro. I told you that before. Oh, Konnichiwa, not for you. Konnichiwa. <laughs> Wait, that's Japanese. Whatever, bro. It's all the same to me. All right. Yeah. It's all the same. I don't care. It's just the difference in the structure of the eyes, dude. Otherwise they all eat fish and noodles. You know what I'm saying? That's right. And they all speak Asian. Is that racist, what I just said? Probably. Yeah, probably. I don't care. But you know what? It used to be comedy. Now it's racist. Well, you're getting comedy on this show, folks. What's up? Hell yeah. All right, I had to you, pause bro. to make sure the face yep. had some time to, appreciate to sink that. in. I appreciate that. Sure. So anyways, um, you know, we'll just keep an eye on this, man. I just, I want the best globally for everybody, right? I, I don't like yeah. governmental overreach, and, and we're seeing it you know, everywhere. That's the thing. We what, want bro? the best for everybody, right. but we can't institute. We can't make that happen. You know, I've been talking in my own show earlier tonight, last night, talking about personal belief systems. Ooh, good one, and bro. And when you can't, I'm, I asked this question tonight. Um, do you actually believe what you say you believe when it comes to faith, Ooh. spirituality, and so on? And did you know, it, it would seem to me that if we were more open to blending spirituality, yeah. and I've been talking kind of about paganism and Christianity, and can they blend? Are they really incompatible or are they compatible? The idea being, 
How can you better affect your world? And this is where I'm hitting what you said. How do you make an impact on the world if faith systems are constantly rigid and uh, you can't believe something else? You know, even if you think it's even if you think it's different, that there's a different way. There are certain belief systems that are open, certain belief systems that really nail down the iron bars, the legalism, the grocery list of things to do and not to do. And if you violate that, you're there's a problem. So would the world be better affected for better change? It doesn't happen by mobs. It doesn't happen by protests although those things can be used as catalysts for change. Mm-hmm. What affects change is changes in hearts. Why do you believe what you believe? And if you blend what you believe, that's going to lapse over into a lot of different areas of life, politics included. You know, it's weird when you say that. Um, I don't know if I question what I believe. I, I believe in God. Um, we've talked about this before. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think when I started questioning faith was... And don't take this the wrong way, Roberts. All right, dude? I'll try not to. You know, I'm thin-skinned. But when I met you, um, I didn't have a lot of friends before you that really went down in the depths in into in the religions. I was going to say Christianity, but you explore multiple religions uh, that you did. And then so it kind of piqued things on my side to start exploring things. This is why I'm kind of like, you know, exorcism against religions, you know, I just, right. um, be, because I found myself, the more I was trying to understand religion, the more I find myself questioning my faith. And I've learned that faith and religion are two separate things. And so yeah. when you chase religion, all you do is debate with people on their interpretation of what their biblical faith is compared to if we have, like, we have a circle of friends that are very spiritual and uh, they seem to align, even though they may have different belief systems, there's a lot of what they believe that actually align, and it actually makes them better people. So what team do I want to be on? The the organized religious team, where we're arguing and debating with people all the time and hating on mofos? Or do we want to be more on the spiritual side, where we're just like, hey, you know what? Believe whatever the F you want, because I'm good, bro. I'm good. I'm, I know where I am. You know, one thing I have noticed when I drifted away from organized Christianity <clears throat> and the form of organized Christianity I was under, and I started becoming more accepting of the fact that your spirituality is what you make, it's what you experience, it's what's inside, it's not the outward structure, I found that that affected my politics. Ooh. I can be really harsh, used to be really harsh when it came to politics. And I still can be to a certain extent. But when we look at a guy like uh, Adam Schiff, who there is one side of me that thinks this guy's the biggest douchebag to ever hit political ideology. Um, yet there's the other side of me that says, does he love his wife? Does he love his kids? Is there an element of him? So how do you try to reconcile those things in a huge political game that's being played? I always try, and you notice this from me, something I try to do is I'm very conservative, but at the same time, I like to say there are certain elements of of liberalism, progressivism, that I get. Mm -hmm. I understand that. I can blend a little bit of that into my ideology. You can blend it, Uh, and you get it, and you understand it, but does it work in the overall philosophy of what we have here in this country? And so you have to look at the mechanics of Mm -hmm. things, too. 
Same thing with Hong Kong and Chinese government. Mm. They might. Uh, that's so different, though, because the individual is going to seek the best way to make things work. But sometimes the best way to make things work. What's the old saying? Sometimes you have to wage war to win a war. Right. Um, and is there a war going on against the people of China by the government of China in a metaphoric sense? Uh, the government of China wants it this way. They are the rigid. To me, they're the religion that is the rigid religion. And says, you must believe this way or you're going to hell or you're going to whatever. And uh, there's the other side that says, no, there are better ways to think than this. And that one side that's got the more power is going to try to shut down the other side. Right. This is what the government does in China. I mean, you're looking at a regime that basically started under Mao, and how many tens of millions of people is Mao responsible for killing? Same as Stalin. These communist regimes were responsible. Stalin, what do they say? Upwards of 60 million people killed under Stalin's regime. Uh, same with Mao. And so what do you do when that happens? The people are eventually going to say, you know, that's enough of that. And uh, I'll break a few windows to make my point. The problem is, is that the right way to do it? I think in that culture, that kind of government where you are oppressed, it's almost the sky's the limit. Mm. You start committing acts of immorality, say, you know, catching somebody who's a communist and dismembering them and sending their different limbs to the four corners of China. Dude, you know, that's a little extreme. 20 to 45 um, million people between 1958 and 1962. That's only four years. Of the 20 to 45 regime. million effing people, bro. Yeah. Yeah. And look at Stalin. How many people did Stalin kill in the 50s? Hold on. I'm 40s getting, and the 50s. How many deaths in Russia, the United uh, Republic of Soviet Socialists? By the way, that's USSR. The United Republic of Soviet Socialists. Wow, Socialists. Wow. And Stalin was responsible for millions of deaths. My own stepfather, my sister's father, Ukrainian man, uh, who has sadly passed away uh, back about eight years ago in his 80s, but he came over to America with his mother and father and his brother back in the late 1950s. They escaped from a gulag, from a concentration camp of Stalins in the Ukraine, and they came to America. They're saying um, in a, a report that was published in 1994, I got a whole bunch of information here, do not have a lot of time to read it, but they're saying that estimated under communism, 110 million people have been massacred. That's in the last, like, since World War II. Right. You're talking a generation. Almost two generations. Dude, that now, is but. crazy, bro. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that. And you know what these people were? They were socialists. They had a socialist government, which led to a communist government. The way I once heard it put in my youth, communism is just socialism with a gun at your head. In 2016, a dissident blog of the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation made an effort to complete updated ranges of estimates and concluded that the overall range spans from 42 million 800, wait, 
Yeah, forty-two million eight hundred seventy thousand to a hundred and sixty-one million nine hundred ninety thousand killed, with a hundred million the most commonly cited figure. This is and that's crazy. a huge gap. Forty-five million to a hundred hundred million. That's a huge gap of people. But those are some of the, it's like with the Holocaust. Yep. What did Germany do in six years? I don't want to say Germany because it indicts all Germans. Yep. What did the Third Reich do Reich. in just a handful of years? Uh, they killed over six million Jews and and Romani and Scotty. And, let's go. We're going out. We got ten seconds, oh. folks. The situation room. Rocky Stucci, Scotty Roberts. I'm glad I looked at the time because we got five seconds, folks. We love you. Don't go anywhere. Stand Boom. by. Boom. Now, does anybody here find it enjoyable whenever the big freaking cannoli Scotty freaking Roberts talks about getting yelled at from his wife? Or is it just me? Because there's something I very... Think it's just you. Dude, there's something very pleasurable about listening to you tell me about all the times, multiple times throughout the day that you get yelled at. And I find that to be like the highlight of my day, bro. Well, you know why I think you find it a highlight? Because there are times, I'm sure I'm sure there are many times, I'm sure there's daily, Mrs. Stucci kind of puts you in your place, and you're like, yeah, well, if she wasn't here, I'd give her a piece of my mind. You know what I'm saying, dude? So, I ain't scared, bro. And then you tell me, and then you hear me do it, and I, like, I like live through you vicariously. <laughs> I'm not the only guy that gets yelled at by his wife. I don't and get and, and let me set the record yeah, straight. Yeah, set it straight, bro. What's up? My wife's not yelling at me like, oh, I yeah, hate you, is. you piece of shit. No, not my wife is yelling at me like, uh, um, oh, I don't know. You know, I'm the boss here and you better give me obeisance. Uh, otherwise, I will yell about you. I'll yell you up. And then, you know, it always resolves itself. There's always a little booby and other things after Ooh, that. So a little booby, you know, I'm just saying. Dude, you actually said yesterday on the show that you would tag your mentally disabled neighbor. I did not say that in so many words. You kind of did, bro. You kind of did. You went there. You went there. <laughs> I the, didn't go there. The chat room let, erupted. Let me say this. and I did not say that about that woman. Dude, you um, said if the circumstances were different, you would take that oh, shit, If the circumstances bro. were different, that's a wide open thing. It's like saying, if I was a bachelor, uh, you know, if I had no children or wife around the house. You would take and, it. And, and a neighbor came over and said, can you help me? You go, <laughs> yeah, step inside. Let me let me brush aside the pizza boxes and the beer can so you have a place to sit. Hey, just to uh, so, let everybody know that um, they, I'm working with uh, Kick-Ass Beef Jerky Roberts. We're going to do a giveaway. So Yeah, brother. Um, we're working together on putting together a package. I don't know how we're going to do this yet. Um, you know, we're pretty chill on this show. You know what I'm saying, bro? Hell yeah. Um, it was, so we just kind of go with it. You know, like today, we weren't 100% of what we we're going to talk about, but here we are, man. We just almost went over on the first segment because we were talking too much. We didn't even plan to talk about Stalin and, no. you know, communism. This is what we do here, bro. This is why we call this. Audrey said something last night, dude. It was kind of a cool tagline Uh-oh. for the show. I'm going to have to, you know what? I'm going to pull it up right now. Whoop, I just hit my mic. Don't judge. All right. Don't judge. I hit my mic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to pull this up here real quick. Um, this is professional radio right Oh, here, I talked bro. to John Ward this morning. Yeah, so, okay, it says right here. Uh, no, not right there. 
Um, totally. We say totally a lot in our conversations. Totally. Uh, no scripts, no plan, no shit. It's perfect. Where'd that come from? Audrey. That was Audrey? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's pretty much us. Yeah, no scripts, no plans. Oh, I got to tell no you. no shit. I'm well, talking to John Ward this morning. Yeah, what's up with him? And, you know, they just went out in Egypt on their archaeological site. They have the big Dahabea, which is a 1845 boat uh, that was, uh, you know, been around for obviously 160 plus years. Right. And uh, um, that's their dig house. All their stuff is on there. And all there is for a roof because it's Egypt. You're in the middle of the friggin' desert uh, sitting on the river. They got, you know, staves that go up and it's canvas roof is on the top. And the whole deck is open. It's got all the desks and the tables. The artifacts get laid out there. All their books and bookshelves, their computers, everything, all laid out on the upper deck. And, uh, and then all the cabins are down below. Well, they got hit by a big storm la- uh, a few days ago. Mm. Just snuck up on them. Just bam. Yeah. And it, and it, uh, it's, it, it uh, pushed the whole Dahabea up onto the muddy bank of the Nile on the west side. That's a serious storm and to do that that's shit, That's a bro. serious storm. And I was there in the on the same boat a couple of years ago where we were hit by a sandstorm, and it just came up over the west. There's the, it goes up a, just a little hill right there, and there's the Spayas of Horemheb dating to 18th Dynasty Egypt, 3,500 years old. It's right there. Right over the top of that, it's just like this big cloud oh. of sandstorm. It looked like uh, something out of the Mummy movie. Ooh. You know, all it lacked was a face with a what? big gaping mouth going to chew you down. Damn. And uh, it came, rose up, and we're like, holy shit. And it hit, boom, like that within moments. And it wasn't, John said, this storm was like, he said, a million times worse. That's crazy. And everything got wet. I mean, it, they were listing to the port. There, the the cabins all got flooded, and we know it, it John's ruined. not the best in storms. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think he said he called for an evac of the boat, but it was too late. Yeah, uh, and the dead. storm hit that fast, and he said, "You can imagine." He said, "I just had imagining going through my mind what it was like. Totally different kind of circumstance, but the Titanic sinking. Ooh, he says, all bro. of a sudden, you got nowhere to go, and and your boat's flooding." And uh, now the boat didn't sink or anything, but everything got wet. Every cabin, every bed, every drawer, every computer, all their equipment is ruined by Nile River water and rainwater. His old journals, he had these old leather journals. I've seen him for years. He, and he writes, he uses a quill pen, dips it in ink, and he longhands in this beautiful, Dude. elegant, he, all his journals for years. It's kind of like some, it's kind of, when you think about this, it's, it's, it's almost biblical though, bro. When you, when it was you almost think, biblical, you know, when you think about how this storm just came out of nowhere on he such a historical site and did he really, now, he said biblical. He did. He says, he says it was a biblical proportions brother, no. uh, but he was talking about something that I wanted to share yeah. as it relates to something, you know, this Saturday oh. we're going to go do a little paranormal investigation oh. at uh, old Barbara Carl's shop. Uh, here in New Richmond. And John said, he said, you won't believe this, brother. He says, but he says, we have the ghost of a little girl. Ooh. He says he has seen his daughter. Well, you know his daughter, yeah. um, uh, Freya. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's what, seven years old now? I don't know, bro. Um, don't he's seen her and he's seen little Jonathan, who is what, two years old, playing with 
he sits and talks through the night to this little girl. And John says uh, uh, they've, they pretty much think she's from the, the early 1800s. So they believe she's Egyptian. Uh, no, they believe she's like colonial. Oh. You know, it would be like uh, the people that would visit Egypt, the, the old explorers era, and they'd rent these these big boats and this particular boat dating back to 1845. So John thinks and Maria thinks this little ghostly girl is from the mid 1800s. Really? Somebody who either died on that boat or died with uh, she had been on that boat and died there in Egypt or something, but came back there and they actually so Maria has seen her playing with the kids. Really? And, uh, you know, you, it's where you get that look and you do that double take. And all of a sudden, wasn't there a third kid there? Um, so stuff like that. Now, he relates it to something else that I can't talk about. No, no, you can. You no, know, John, I, I really can't. It's an unpublished piece of archaeology. Oh. And they relate it to something that was discovered uh, the, the day this started happening. And uh, so he's wondering if it's related or if it was maybe Dude, I know this all it started just before the storm. And they thought maybe this little girl warning them about the storm or appearing because the storm was coming. Dude, she was Roman. Uh, She's a Roman child. That's what she is. Elements of nature. Because they, they find Roman up. artifacts, dude, in their they site. Do. This could be a Roman child, dude. I'm just saying my psychic Might shit's be. kicking in. My psychic shit's kicking in. I'm seeing a Roman I mean, there's kid. stuff on their site. They're they're an old quarry site, ancient Egypt, the dynastic period. But there are Roman forts on their site dating back 2,000 years. There are, you know, and they published this so I can mention it, the stables of Tiberius Caesar. Yep. Uh, his his uh, uh, troops that were there at Gebel El Silsila. Yep. And they found this stuff, uh, Roman artifacts and things like that. Dude, it's and, crazy, uh, though. It's crazy when you think about it. Um, so you, I've never been there. You've been to Egypt four times. Um, you know, when we talk, everything that we understand history by, or for, I'm speaking, I'm generalizing for most people in the United States, is through a book. We don't have a lot of history yeah. here in this country. You have the indigenous history, and then you have the, you know, the colonialist history. Um, and then the establishment of this country uh, in Europe, you can go to Europe and you find a lot of very rich history. But, you know, when you think about going to Egypt, to Gebel El Silsila, and then you talk about Caesar being there and you think about all the historical events that have happened. And I can look at pictures and I could put myself in these places. Right. And mm -hmm. uh, it is I need so badly, brother, I need so badly sometime in my life to either go to Egypt or go we to, still got to do it you and i've talked about that many times we got to do that it's everything is so constrictive it's it's just it's so difficult to do it but i i just i gotta put myself in a different time i gotta i gotta put my mind in a different time i gotta put my spirit in a different time um just for that experience and and it's like i i it's one of my bucket list things bro i, I just, gotta tell you and i gotta repeat this to you i've talked about this on my own show I got to repeat this to you as an encouragement to you, Mark Twain. I've taken this as my own moniker for years. 20 years from now, you will regret more the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So cast away from the safe harbor. Set your sails to the trade winds. Explore, dream, discover. And my philosophy of life is this. We have a whole list 
of excuses we use for, and some of them legitimate, mm-hmm. why we can't do the things we want to do or the things we want to set out to. I got a wife and kids. I got family. I got work. I can't take the time off. Oh, it's costing money that I would yeah. have to pull out of this or yeah. I can't pay that. And we got this whole thing that we put on there. Uh, oh, it's not safe or, oh, oh it's world travel. That's, it's that's, that. that's everybody's number one. It's not safe, dude. I would never go. It's to not safe. Gym. It's like um, interesting because the director archaeologist of Gebel El Salsil is a blonde haired, blue eyed, beautiful woman, and she's the yeah. boss of like 30 Muslims. But and they she's got still their alive. two kids there growing up there right. with them. Totally dangerous uh, shit. Bro. And to quote, you know, Dr. Zali Hawass, you know who Zali Hawass yeah, I know is? Zali, I'm good friends yeah, with him. You see him, the Egyptian former uh, uh, minister of antiquities mm-hmm. in Egypt for many years. He actually put Egyptian tourism on the map. Didn't he get in a little trouble for some shit, years? bro? He looked into the camera a couple of years ago when we were taking the trips out there, taking people along with us. Uh, he looked at the camera and he says, he says, all my friends, he says, Egypt is safe. It is safe here. You come and enjoy it. It is safe. <laughs> yeah. Two days later, there's so, a terror attack, you know? Yeah. Well, there was stuff that happened when we were there. Um, I mean, we took a busload of tourists that joined us on our trip that we ran to Egypt in 2014, and we went deep into the Sinai to climb up to the top. Deep? Well, deep enough. Um, You know, it was a couple-hour ride into the Sinai, and you're surrounded by desert, and there's nothing there. You're in the middle of the, of the, the, the Sinai desert, the wilderness as it was called biblically, we went to a little mountain, Serbet el And we took those people up the mountain and for a certain reason to that particular mountain. Yeah. And as we're driving back, it's, 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 you know what the Sinai looks It's like a triangle. And over here's the Red Sea. And, but you go from in Egypt is here and you go over the top of the Red Sea through the Suez Canal and down about halfway down the Red Sea. And we crossed in to almost the center of that point of the Sinai Peninsula. Yeah, yeah. And so we're driving back up the Red Sea, going to the toward the Suez Canal, when we get news that way up here in northern Sinai, that a bunch of terrorists had seized a tourist bus, Ooh. blew it up and Ooh. killed people and stuff like that. And, of course, everybody's looking on their phones, and somebody shouts that out. And uh, John's famous line was, he says, he says, if you don't want trouble, you don't where, go where trouble is. And he says, we're not in northern Sinai. That's a totally different region of the Sinai, totally different control up there. We're down in central, and we're going up the east shore and crossing back You know, back I'm, I'm kind of curious, Roberts. I'm kind of yeah. curious on how many violent crimes Egypt has every single year compared to, let's say, Chicago. Well, it's like I, I have said, I've used that exact city. I've said, you know, I feel safer in Luxor, Egypt than I do in certain parts of Chicago. So, um, yeah, it's all where you go, what's going on and so on. People took a bus and they weren't, they weren't Americans. They were, I think it was Chinese. Oh, okay. No big deal. Though, right. No big deal. They took, yeah, yeah. It's okay then. Uh, no, they took a bus <laughs> over and they went over into... Northern Sinai. You know what? That's where ISIS had a lot of control. Why the hell would you take your bus to tourists into Northern Sinai? You just don't go there. So 
What's the difference anyway, between what's, all that what's the difference say, between Egypt and what's going on with all the cartel activity right across the border? They just found a whole bunch more dead bodies down right across the border down in Mexico. And I'm not trying to impact fear yeah. on people. I love the Mexican people. I love the Mexican culture. I do too. I like Mexico. Um, but you know, where do we compare that, you know, with what's going on with cartels in you're Mexico? Looking at, you're looking at criminal activity. You're looking at uh, maybe criminal activity sanctioned by the government. Hey, has the United States ever done that? Has the United States ever sanctioned criminals or terrorists to achieve a certain end? Dude, we are uh, the to inventors of things? that shit, bro. Yeah. I think Mexico has done the same thing. And uh, um, No, I don't know, I don't, dude. I don't know. I don't know if Mexico sanctions. I don't know if the government sanctions. I'm not think- talking sanction. I'm talking turning a blind eye. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no you know what? Uh, th- that's doing this for us. So don't pay attention. That's that's uh, terrible, man. So that country could never truly flourish unless you eliminated all the cartels out of Mexico because it. it is it is dictated literally by the cartels. And then you look at all these beautiful people that just want to feed their babies that are restricted yeah. because cartels own so much of of the country of Mexico. It, it's horrifying, brother. That's it. Uh, I love Mexican culture. I love Mexican uh, women. I like bro. Zorro and everything. Dude, Mexican women. So, oh, yeah. They do this cha cha shit, dude. And it just does Chi-chi. something to my inner Chi-chi's. soul. Whatever. Did you know what? You remember the Mexican restaurant, Chi Chi's? Yeah. Bro, that you know was what a Chi means? Food. What? It's a vernacular for boobies. Dude, I'm Chi-chi's. all. You go to Hooters, don't you? Yeah, I've been there. I've been there too. I wasn't looking. I just went there because I was hungry. You know, I don't go there for the boobs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I go to I go to Hooters for the chicken wings. Dude, they do got good <laughs> wings, bro. Like, like almost a, worthy of eating every day. I buy Playboy for the articles. <laughs> you know, it's the same <laughs> argument. Right. So, judge. does Playboy judge. even exist anymore? Of course it does. They had all that controversy. I know they're online now, but does the magazine still get published? I don't know, but I'm going to look it up right now just to see. Yeah, I thought I had heard that they were because of political correctness had to get out of Dude, all that. F political i am so done with oh, it dude bro. i am so done with it dude speaking of political correctness talk to us bro i'm gonna look up playboy right now all right you do that do you know that there was a 12 year old boy charged with drawing st- swastikas and arrested for hate crime in queens uh the neighbors found the swastikas and hateful messages drawn on the chalk in chalk on the playground a PS 139 in Rigo Park last week. Dude, why is Playboy publishing an article about Adam Schiff, bro? Uh, positive or negative? It don't matter. Oh, just about Adam Schiff. Because, you know, Playboy did that over the years. Playboy had some phenomenally written Ooh. articles over the years. Hello, and that's Coco. why people would criticize. If somebody, there were people that said, I buy Playboy because of the articles. Ooh. Yeah, the naked Ooh. women are cool. Whoa. But I like their articles, and they they did have top notch uh, articles written. They were they were like Rolling Stone with nude women. Oh, bro, I'm telling you, and, and not that Rolling Stone. I'm I'm just saying. So, twelve year old boy, the police arrested a twelve year old boy, charged him with scrawling swastikas and other hateful graffiti and chalk all over a pra- playground in Queens, New York. Neighbors found the swastikas and the hateful messages drawn on chalk. And there was no school that week, so students weren't in the building. And the police said they identified the boy, interviewed him and his mother, 
and later turned him over to authorities. The boy's name won't be released because of his age. He's a juvenile. 12. Uh, you know, a year and a half older than my son. And the Department of Education said a custodian found the graffiti Friday morning, immediately contacted the NYPD, who arrived and closed down the playground as they investigated. Councilwoman Karen Kozlowitz tweeted, I am horrified, disgusted, and nauseated, to say the least, of what I have witnessed today. Nazi imagery and anti-Semitic slurs were drawn at the PS-139 playground in Rigo Park. I was on the scene today, and most of the imagery has been washed away. Enough is enough. The hate crimes unit was notified. Now, I am not by any means condoning the drawing of swastika and anti-Semitic slurs by a 12-year-old on the sidewalk. But, dude, he's a 12-year-old. All right, where are we at? You know, you know what they, they do when I was a kid? I get grabbed probably by the principal of the school, by my hair Ooh. or my ear or the or the the scruff of my neck, hauled into the office. My mom would be called. Ooh. I'd be suspended for a few days. And the worst possible thing that could happen to me was them telling my mom what I did. And my mom would beat the living crap out of me. And I'm talking in a non-abusive way. Dude, one time, one time, um, I got caught smoking when I was a kid. And, smoking. Um, yep. And That's a hate crime now. Well, it is. And so this lady caught me. I was in an alley. Thought I was cool and shit. I was like seven. I had a cigarette, Marlboro, hanging out of my mouth. And uh, she saw me smoking. She knew my dad. She was afraid of my dad, so she wanted points, right? Yep. So she took me home, and um, she snitched on me. And I still, for, just so you know, to this she day. She snitched. Listen to how Rocky's. Yeah. She didn't tell your mom. You know, she snitched on me. She snitched on me. <laughs> and, um, dude, I, that's the first time as a seven-year-old that I actually feared for my life. And, yeah, don't, oh, dude. no, dude, no, no, my dad didn't scold me. He whooped my shit, bro, okay? He whooped my shit. What's up? I have no doubt. Hey, I got a question <laughs> for you. Something just occurred to me. Yeah, bro, talk to me. What's up, man? What's up, bro? Talking about all this hate crime shit. Yeah, what's up? And, and, uh. You know how there are certain elements within the black community Sir? that want to protest anything. Everything. That, I mean, from the Star Spangled Banner, because the 15th oh. verse says something about slavery. Yeah. It doesn't really. Stupid. Uh, but it's interpreted that, uh, that they can't, they have to take a knee at, uh, at the star, at the uh, national anthem because slavery and the oppression of slaves in our nation's past. Uh, they have to tear down Confederate statues and things like this. Mm -hmm. All of this going on. I'm curious, since I mentioned tobacco, this this ent entered into my mind. Okay. How many of these people smoke cigarettes? Do they smoke cigarettes? The protest is stuff. Wasn't tobacco an industry that was built on the backbone of black slaves? It don't matter because if it benefits them, bro, then it, there it I, is. when I say them, I'm, I'm referring in general for, for who was ever protesting shit. Um, yep. If it benefits them, they turn a blind eye. They find those one or two little things that trigger their little shit and their little I emotions. I am curious to know if there are any Black Panther members who smoke cigarettes. And if you do, are you not then, by your reasoning, supporting an industry that was built on the backs of slaves? Well, so, okay, this is, may sound a little rough, 
what I'm about to say, but it's no different than wearing clothes that are made out of cotton, bro. Oh, hell yeah. Should then... Should we protest we cotton? We all burn down the cotton factories and do away with cotton in the United States because we had a slave uh, a population here for a century that mm-hmm. picked cotton. The cotton industry in the United States was built on the backs of slaves. Uh, Eli Whitney, wasn't it Eli Whitney? He was a black slave, former slave, was he? I don't remember, but he was an, he was uh, in uh, the late 1800s. He invented the cotton gin uh, for processing cotton. He was a slave, uh, bro. And he was a slave. I'm looking was he up, a slave though. when he invented that, or was he a freed slave at that point? I don't remember. But he contributed to the cotton industry. Uh, so if we were to use the same reasoning in things like cotton, no, in wait things a like uh, tobacco, dude. would uh, would they then be tearing down the corporations? Dude, that- I don't think it was Eli Whitney that I... So Eli Whitney was a white dude. It says right here, Eli Whitney, oh, was it? 1765 to 1825, was an American inventor best known for inventing the cotton gin. This oh, was I'm under- wrong. I thought he was a black guy. Yep. Um, My bad. Sorry, black dude, community. I actually... See, now, okay, so let's look at it like this. If he was a slave owner, the chances are the, I don't know, I don't even want to get into it because I don't know, but yeah, so. Yeah, Yeah, no speculation. My bad. For some reason, I thought Eli Whitney was a man of color. My bad. Well, we've solved it right here on the show, bro. Done. Debunked. Debunked. (laughs) Moving on. Moving on. Okay, so where were you at now? I was talking about the little ghostly girl that John and Maria are seeing. No, 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 no. You were talking about the swastika. Oh, the swastika. Yeah, this kid got arrested. So why would... So, okay, so in regards to the swastika, why was he drawing it? How did he learn it? Where did he... Is it because media is just talking about Nazism so much that we're we're forcing people to research it? I think it's because we're, we're so focused on what is and is not a hate crime that, uh, you know what, hate crime is a well um, while you're thinking though was he referring to the swastika as a symbol of peace or the nazi i don't think he was referring to it as anything i think he was just do he was doing it oh and he was writing stuff down don't even know what he wrote but so if if somebody called if the school called you cannoli and they says yo i gotta talk to you about your boy he's on the playground had some chalk and he drew the swastika how yep. would you approach this with your child? That's a good question. Thank you. How would you approach it? And hate crime. Is hate crime a crime in and of itself? Or is, is it supposed to have been an enhancement to crimes committed? I don't think an eight-year-old is a crime, and now it's crime. also a hate crime. I don't think that's a hate You know, in his reference, in that reference as a child, I don't think that that was a distribution of hate. I think I it don't was either. a I lack think he of was repeating stuff. And- yep. I rather doubt that this kid was a white supremacist. So how would you handle this with Flynn? Uh, with Flynn, I'd probably sit him down and I'd tell him, look, there are certain things you don't do anymore. Uh, number one, I'd probably tell him about the swastika. You know, it started as a symbol of peace thousands of years ago. <laughs> and it was so wholly manipulated by a maniacal, tyrannical dictator that it has become the symbol of hate. Right. And uh, I said, they, they took a good thing and changed it. If you're drawing that symbol, do you even know what it means? You know, I'll, I'll tell you what, Rocky, when I was a kid, 
I remember we would draw swastikas. We'd draw them in ballpoint pen on our arms. We didn't even know what a Nazi was. We just thought it was a it was a cool symbol that we'd seen somewhere. Ooh. Oh, the Nazi thing or, or the, the swastika. You know, oh, cool. I'm cool. I'm badass because I got a swastika and ballpoint pen on my arm. We didn't know what it meant. Oh, bro. We had no idea. That's like the word <gasps> quiet. Shh. The word faggot. Oh, that's a cigarette in Britain. Just so you know. We used to we used to call guys fags a fag. But did we know it had any kind of connotation to what a gay person was? Well, when I was a kid and we used that word, we didn't even know what gay was. Scotty? We barely knew what a homosexual was. Dude, we got 50 seconds. I need you really quick to let everybody oh, know grief. how they can catch the big freaking cannoli. What's up? Uh, right here on YouTube, Mr. Scotty Roberts. Uh, don't tune in tonight because <laughs> you know what? I'm already done for tonight. Uh, but tune in tomorrow. And He's go a- over to uh, streamingtalkradio.com. Streaming and talk see radio. everything about Rocky and I. Dude, that's so funny. He says, good grief. Dude, we're just warming up. Now we got shit to say. And we're just done. Now. I know. I feel like we're like two minutes in. My God, folks. Hey, that's right. StreamingTalkRadio.com is our website. Make sure you get there. I'm going to be working on the website within the next couple few days. We're changing the whole thing around. We're making it more user-friendly. We're making it compatible. All Facelift. the podcast links, all the YouTube links, all the videos, all the live streams, every freaking thing you need to know is going to be set up on streamingtalkradio.com. Get your asses over there. Check it out. We love you guys. We appreciate all of your support. Ladies and gentlemen from our family to yours, much love, much respect. Rule number one, don't take shit from nobody. Love you guys. And I wish you all to live long and prosper.